pull your notes out for today's message if you care to do that. Most of you uh, know that I read the one-year Bible for my uh, daily Bible reading. If you don't know what the one-year Bible is, it's the entire Bible divided up into 365 uh, daily readings. And uh, if you read the portion they suggest to you every day, you will have read through the entire Bible in one year. Uh, I don't know how long the, the one-year Bible's been out, but I think it's been out probably 20 years or something close to that. And I have just loved the one-year Bible. I read from it every day, as I said. And uh, it has been something that has taken me systematically through God's Word for now, you know, about 20 times, one time per year. I really like systems like the one-year Bible because they discipline me to read all of God's Word. You know, if you're not careful, you can fall into the trap of reading only the portions of God's Word that are appealing to you personally or are easy to understand and kind of avoiding the ones that are a little trickier, or a little tougher, and a little more challenging and whatever. But, you know, if you read the one-year Bible, it takes you into all of God's Word because that's exactly what it is. It's all God's Word. And that's why all of it brings life to your soul and to your spirit, even the tougher parts. Now, I'm not going to preach about reading the scriptures today, but uh, and, and I will also say I'm not promoting for you to go out and buy a one-year Bible, although I would suggest that you do that, but I'm not really pr promoting that. I just wanted to tell you how today's message kind of came about in my heart. Since I, I read the one-year Bible, when I was thinking about this Sunday, I decided that for, for the message of this final Sunday of 2015, I would look to see how the one-year Bible ends the readings for this year, for December 31st, which will be, of course, this Thursday. So I jumped ahead. You don't get fined or anything if you jump ahead in the one-year Bible. So I jumped ahead to look at the readings. Now, each of the daily readings of the one-year Bible is broken down into four sections. They are some reading from the Old Testament, secondly, some reading from the New Testament. Then they'll basically have you read one of the Psalms, sometimes a little bit more than just one, sometimes a little bit less, but usually about one Psalm per day. And then some of the Proverbs, a few verses out of the book of Proverbs uh, for that particular day. So the Old Testament portion for December 31st is Malachi chapters 3 and 4. And that wraps up the book of Malachi and it wraps up the Old Testament. The New Testament portion for December 31st is Revelation chapter 22, which wraps up the book of Revelation and it also wraps up the New Testament. The portion from the Psalms for December 31st is Psalm 150, which is the last Psalm of the book of Psalms. And the portion of Proverbs it has you read uh, is from Proverbs chapter 31, which is the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, and that finishes out the book of Proverbs. So I thought to myself as I read those passages and meditated on them, what would Jesus want to say to his people? What final words would he want to give us as we wrap up this year and get ready to focus on a new year? And this is what I believe the Holy Spirit gave me. From Malachi chapters 3 and 4, first of all, this is the message. Jesus is coming. 
Jesus is, if there's one thing that God wants to remind you as we get ready to wrap up this year and move into next year, it's this thought. Jesus is coming. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourself, the book of Malachi doesn't mention Jesus. In fact, Jesus isn't mentioned in any of the Old Testament. But there are prophecies about Jesus. They're throughout the Old Testament. And Malachi chapter 3 is one of those prophetic words referring to the coming of Jesus. We'll look at verse number 1. It says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. That's not Jesus it's talking about. It's talking about John the Baptist. In fact, the scripture in the New Testament refers back to this verse and says John is the fulfillment of that part of that scripture. He is the one who came before Christ, prepared the way for Christ to come, for the Messiah to come. Let's continue in the verse. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, Jesus is, of course, the fulfillment of the latter part of that verse. The former part of the verse, John the Baptist is the fulfillment. He is the one who prepares the way for the coming of Jesus, and Jesus is referred to in the latter part of that verse. So, verse 1 is telling us that Jesus is coming, and that is an exciting thought. Even in the Old Testament, it is declaring that Jesus is coming back for his people. This is, a, this is a theme that runs throughout the scripture from the front cover to the back cover. Jesus is coming. And what, a, what an exciting thought that is, amen? Until you come to the next verse. The next verse says, but who will be able to endure it when he comes? Jesus is coming, but who's going to be able to endure it when he does come? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. Now, the book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, as I've already said. And it is the final book of what we call the Minor Prophets. If you're new to God's word, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are called the minor prophets. And they aren't called minor because they are less significant or important. They're called minor because they are shorter in length than the major prophets. The major prophets being books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. Those are the major prophets. They're long. Uh, they have a lot of verses to them. The minor prophets are simply shorter. But like all of the prophets, God used the minor prophets, and in this case, Malachi, to rebuke the people of Israel for their spiritual coldness. And in chapter 3, if we were to take time to read all of it, we don't have time to do that, so you can study it on your own. But in chapter 3, the Lord accused them of three things. First of all, not treating each other rightly in verse number 5. Secondly, not putting God first in their lives in verse number verses 7 and 8 and thirdly misrepresenting God to the world now if you didn't know it God chose Israel to be his witness into a world that knew nothing of the true God 
And so God chose these people, the Jews, to be his witness about the true and the living God. The problem is they didn't live for him like the true and living God. They didn't represent him properly. In fact, they misrepresented. Even though they claimed to be his people, they didn't live like it. But the grace of God is, is so abundant, even in the midst of this word of judgment, because God didn't leave the Jews in a, in a state of judgment, with judgment hanging over their heads. In fact, he told them, all you have to do is repent. Do you know what repentance is? Some people think repentance is asking God for forgiveness. That's the first part of, of repentance, but it is not what repentance fully is. Repentance literally means a change of mind. So if I'm, if I'm going this way and I repent, I am now going that way. I've changed my direction. I've changed my mind. I am now going the right way. If this way is the wrong way and I repent, I now am going this way. So it's not just asking for forgiveness. It's actually changing the way I live, the direction of my life. And he tells them, if you repent and if you will return to God, then this is what he promises the Jews, verses 17, 18. They will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will see again the difference between the righteous and the wicked and those who serve God and those who do not. Over in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, For you will... For you uh, who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. So if you've ever seen horses or cattle or, you know, in the springtime and they're, they've been bottled up in the barn for all the winter and now they're finally let out into the, into the new grass and they're just jumping around, the calves are having a great time. God is saying, if you repent, if you turn back to me, your life, which has been tragic to this point, is going to turn around and the blessings of heaven are going to flow upon you. You're going to be kicking your heels up. Hallelujah for all that God's going to do in your life. So what is God telling us through Malachi as we get ready to enter 2016? It's simply this. Make sure Jesus has first place in your life. It's as simple as that. Make sure he has first place. And, and you do that in some very practical ways. So it's real easy to say, like, yeah, Jesus has first place in my life. All right, well, God says there's some very practical things you do to show that he is first in your life. From verses 7 and 12 of chapter 3, he says, you acknowledge God as the owner of all that you have. When you make Jesus the center of your life, you quit claiming ownership of yourself, your future, your possessions, everything. God is now the owner of of all that you are and all of you have. In verse number eight, he says this to the people of Israel. Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. Now, if you were to read all of those verses seven through 12, you would see that God is talking very specifically about the tithe. The tithe, if you're new to this, is, is the tenth of our income that belongs to God. 
And, and that's a much deeper teaching than just that right there, but I'm going to leave it at that. It's the tenth that belongs to God. And the Jews were supposed to bring the tenth to the storehouse, but they weren't doing it. And so God says, you're cheating me because you're not bringing the tithes and your offerings due to me. But the core of the whole teaching of these verses is not really about the tithe. It's talking about the tithe over and over and over again in these verses, but it's not really talking about the tithe. It's talking about ownership. Get that in your heart. God is asking you, who owns what you have? You or him? Who owns who you are? What you are? You or him? Who is the owner? You or God? And the Lord is saying, if you claim that it's you, then God is saying you are claiming something that isn't yours to claim. It's not rightfully yours because God is the source of all supply to your life. And you can say, well, I went out and I worked hard for it and I made this and it's my money. No, it's not. God's very clear. Everything that we have is a gift from him to us. And if we didn't have him giving the gift to us, we wouldn't have it in the first place. And the way that we acknowledge that he is the giver of it all is we pay the tithe, that tenth. And so if you made $100 this week, 10 of it is God's, and it belongs to God. And so this, this whole issue is not, are you going to give 10% to God? It's, are you acknowledging that the whole 100% is his? And I'm not just talking about money. When Carrie and I built our house, we've lived in it 14 years now, but when we built it before the carpet was put in and stuff, and the paint, we went into every room of the house and we anointed it with oil and we said, God, this is your house. It's not our house. It belongs to you. It is for your glory. We commit it and dedicate it to be a place that glorifies your name in this neighborhood and, oh God, that reaches people for the glory of God, that touches lives for the glory of God. We dedicate this house to you. When we get a new car, Lord, I commit this car to you. It's yours. You, I don't own it. You own it. It, 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 is, it is a tool that you give me to touch the world, to bless the world for the glory of God. Some of you have a car and you're saying to yourself, God, you can have my car. It's yours. It's all yours, you know. But you know what? The Lord tells us if we're faithful with the little he gives us, he'll make us ruler over much. And Carrie and I have proven that to be true. When you make God the owner not you, man, he just starts exalting you. He just starts lifting you up. The problem is Christian people still claim ownership. That's what the Jews were doing. They were claiming ownership of their lives, of their blessings, of their provisions. And God says, because of that, a curse is upon you instead of the blessings of God. So the Lord is the one who brings all of the supply. But if Jesus if we declare him as the owner, then you can honor him with all that you have and use it for his glory. And if you do that, then he promises to abundantly supply all that you need. Number two, the second practical way we, we do this from verse five, treat people with dignity and love. The Lord got very specific about how they were treating each other. He said, you guys are are cheating each other out of wages. You guys are oppressing widows and orphans. You're discriminating against those who are not like you. Prejudice was running high. 
And then in verse number 6 of Malachi 3, God says, this is kind of my translation of what he says. He says, it's a good thing I don't change. In other words, it's a good thing I'm long-suffering even when you act that way. It's a good thing that I'm merciful even though you're acting this way. Because if I weren't long-suffering and merciful, you'd already be be destroyed because of the way you're living, the way you're acting. I'd have wiped you out already. But I don't change, and because I haven't changed, I've been long-suffering towards you. And I've been dealing with you, and I've been trying to bring you around mercifully. But you've got to start acting towards one another in a way that glorifies my name. Jesus said it this way. He said, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have towards one another. You see, it matters how you treat people, both in the church and outside of the church. It matters how we treat each other as human beings. And prejudice can be far far bigger than than racial prejudice or ethnic prejudice. Prejudice can be, it it can be economic. It's not liking people who are rich because you're poor or not liking people who are poor because you're rich. That That is an economic prejudice. It can be educational. People who are educated can look down on people who are uneducated. Uneducated people can look with disdain towards those who are educated. It it can be generational. Older generation can look at the younger generation with disdain. Vice versa, the younger towards the older. In fact, I had a man come up to me after the first service. He says, man, you nailed it right on the head for me. He said, it's the generational thing that gets me. I, and he's a guy about my age, and he says, you know, it's just become so hard for me to identify with a culture in, our, in America today that's so different from how I was raised. And those of you who are younger right now and say, oh, he shouldn't be that way, when you're that age, let's just see how much the world changes between now and then and what struggles you're going to have, you know. Should Jesus tarry? The point is, things always keep on changing, and you'll and you'll get your preference lock in there, and you'll say, "This is the way I always want it to be. I always want the music to be just like this." I remember telling Tara one uh, one time, I said, "You know, the day will come when the music you like will be so outdated, and you'll struggle to be singing the newer songs because it'll be so foreign to you." You know. But I said, you can get up there and you can do your, you know, and everything and really bring it down. No, I didn't say that part, but, um, but <laughs> do her moonwalk across here. I don't know. Uh, but, but the thing is, things change. And sometimes when change happens, we can start looking with disdain towards one another, towards other people. But God cares about how we talk about one another. It matters to him how we talk about one another. Make sure you treat people with dignity and love. I'll just say this real quickly, and it'll probably take me a little bit over, but that's all right. Uh, back in, I think, 2003, 2004, uh, there was a group of us evangelical pastors who were very troubled in our spirit about some of the, the protesters that protested the Mormons downtown. And some of you know about this. We've talked about this in the past. And, and so there was 32 of us that gathered down in the corner of North Temple and Main Street 
and we wanted the city, we, we called a press conference and the, and, and the news media was there, the television stations, some radio, the print media, they were all there. And, and we made a declaration on that corner of, of the conference center that what, what the, the protesters, how they were acting, what they were saying was, in our opinion, not representing Christ, and they were for sure not representing us. And we wanted our community at large to know, hey, we're not dealing with, uh, do we believe in Mormonism? Do we believe Joseph Smith? We weren't dealing with that issue. We were simply saying there's a, there's a dignity and a love that we are to give to, to one another within the family of man. And we need to act differently than what's being acted uh, downtown. And, and so we called on those people to repent, to stop doing it. And, and to let the city know that we did not agree with that. The very next day, now I read the statement to the media, and the reason I did it was Greg Johnson was supposed to, who's the, the leader of Standing Together, but he had laryngitis, so he said, Jim, would you read it? And so I said, okay, so I read the document that, that stated these things I've just said to you. The next day I got a call from Doug Wright of KSL Radio, and he, he, he simply asked me on air, on the phone, he said, Pastor, why would you do this? Why would you make that statement? And I said, because people deserve dignity, love, and respect. Whether we agree with them in every way or not, they deserve, our, they deserve to be treated with dignity. They deserve to be treated with love and with respect. And we do not believe that these protesters are doing that. We did not want ourselves just kind of included in, into the group and, and the community thinking that we believed how they were acting. And so we wanted to put it on notice. That's what I'm talking about, is that there will be people who will be so different from you and it'll almost irritate you they're so different from you, you know. But you, you, you ask God to give you a love where there is anger or bitterness or distrust or whatever, let that be a sign in you that you got a problem that you need God to heal. Because God wants us to love one another, amen? Not just within the church, but outside the church as well. The third thing that, that God dealt with them about was in verse 7. He says, uh, and, and it was about obeying God's word. You, you show your commitment to God that he has first place in your heart by obeying his word. And here God accused the people of defying his word and failing to obey it. And then the Lord tells them to return to them, and he simply says, this is how you do it. You start obeying my word. You start obeying my word. So let me put it this way. One of the big lies, I think, floating around in, in the Christian community, and some Christians are accepting it today, is that they can claim Christ as their Savior and live any old way they want to live. Don't you judge me. And that simply is not true. I think some of the scariest verses in the Bible are found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And this is Jesus talking, by the way. Listen, he says, not all who sound religious are really godly people. They may refer, refer to me as Lord, but still won't get to heaven for the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you and used your name to cast out demons and to do many other great miracles. That's pretty impressive to me. But I will reply, you have never been mine. 
Wow. Go away, for your deeds are evil. Notice how that last part of that last verse equates or connects or links saving faith to our conduct, how we act. Read it again. You have never been mine. Go away for your what? Deeds. That's your actions are evil. What all of this is saying is that our actions reveal what's really in our heart. So no matter what we say with our mouth, if our actions aren't pure, it's revealing that our hearts aren't pure either. And we've got a problem. So the Lord calls in his people to return to him. And he says, if you, will do, if you will do that, I will return to you. And that's the promised blessing. So if you want Jesus a part of every part of your life in 2016, that's how you do it. Right there. It's practical. Secondly, from Revelation 22, I'm not going to take as much time with the rest of them. God gave me this word. Jesus is coming. Kind of sounds like what he gave me out of Malachi 3 and 4. Give it to me again. Jesus is coming. But in Malachi, it, the Lord's coming and is going to, he's coming in judgment. Who can stand when he comes? Who will be able to endure it when he comes? But in Revelation 22, this is, this is, a, this is a party. This is an exciting time. Jesus is coming to get his people. Rejoice and be glad. Finally, he's coming. Verse 7, look, I am coming soon. Verse 12, look, I am coming soon. Verse 20, yes, I am coming soon. So the emphasis of Revelation 22 is that Jesus is coming back and he's coming soon. Get ready, be excited. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. Now, I think it's pretty clear that we are the generation of the last days. So what's God's message for us in 2016? I think that it's found oddly in verse number 11, which reads, let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Now, that seems like an odd verse, but this is what I think it's saying to us. Jesus is saying to us here, make a choice with your life. Make a choice with your life. If you choose to follow Christ, then follow him all the way. All the way. Sell out to him. Heart, body, mind, soul, spirit, everything. You give it all. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're, you are fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so if that's what you want, continue to live righteously. Continue to be holy. But if that's not what you, if, if you're, if you're middle of the road kind of thing, it's, it's a terrible way to, to live. And so God says, if instead of just being middle of the road, if, if you want to do what's vile, do what's vile. If you want to do harm, do harm. But make a choice with your life. Quit pretending. Just know that there are consequences to the choices that you make. Because then in the very next verse, Jesus says, I am bringing my reward with me to repay people according to their what? deeds. There's that word deeds again. What you do with your life. And so the point of this is not to bring judgment on God's people. God's warning us about this in order to get us to commit ourselves fully to following Christ with a whole heart. And that's a good word for us as we enter a very uncertain year in 2016. It's been uncertain in 2015. I think it's going to intensify in 2016. We need Jesus at the center of everything, at the center of our lives. So you need him now more than ever. Make sure he's at the center of your life. The third thought 
comes out of Psalm 150. And God gave me this word. We welcome his coming through praise. Praise is the, is the way we welcome the coming of the Lord. It's, Psalm 150 is a short one, so let's read it together. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him with his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with a, a lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. So here's the main thoughts. Number one from verse one, praise him everywhere. The, 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 the referee might, might throw a flag on you for giving glory to God when you score a touchdown, but you give glory to God anyway. I don't care what the world says, you know. They may say, you can't pray at school. You pray anyway. Nobody can tell you that, you know. And, and there's, anyway, that's another deal. In his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven is where we're supposed to praise him. Uh, number two, verse two, praise him for all that he has done for you. Think about all he's done, his mighty works. Number three, verse two, praise him for who he is, his unequal greatness. Man, he is God, and there is no other God besides him. Praise him. Uh, number four, verses three and five, praise him with everything you've got. Boy, just let it blast out, you know. Now, if you're a real introvert of a person, you're probably going to blast out differently than those who are extroverts of, of, of a person. But at any rate, we're going to give a, a great expression of love to our Lord uh, the way he's made us. Uh, number five from verse six, praise him throughout your lifetime. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. So as long as you have breath in your lungs, give praise unto God. When you praise God, it welcome, welcomes his coming into your life. And so when, when you come to church and you've been through the pits this uh, the previous week and you say, I'm in a bad mood, I am not going to praise God. Listen, you praise God anyway. Don't let your bad mood be your God. Amen? Don't let your, the, the fight you had with your wife on the way to church destroy your willingness to give praise unto God. Don't let the way your kids act steal the praise out of you. You praise God in spite of your physical condition. You spray, praise God in spite of your pain. You praise God in spite of your bank account. You praise God in spite of the fact she didn't get you for, for Christmas what you wanted. You, you praise God for anyway, you know, you give him praise all of your life. All right, number four from Proverbs 31, God gave me this word. We prepare for his coming by living wisely. You make preparations. In fact, you show how much you anticipate his coming by living your life wisely. Now, Proverbs 31 is specifically speaking to women and mothers. We know that. But the principles given are powerful truths for all of us to understand. And let me just give you quickly these principles. Verse 25 talks about the wisdom of trust. So wise living involves trust. She laughs without fear of the future. Why? Because she's seen how good God's been and she knows how good he will be. That's called trust. Number two, verse 26, it talks about wise speech. When she speaks, her words are wise. Her words are wise. American culture has become so crude, and our speech is reflecting that. 
but the people of God should be different. James, the book of James says, out of the same mouth is coming blessings and curses. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be, is how James says it. In this next year, I challenge you to start speaking words with your mouth, with faith, Facebook, that are encouraging words, kind words, uplifting words, words that bring people more towards the presence of God instead of the crude and the demeaning that's become so, so characteristic of the culture in America today. If you will speak encouraging words and words of blessing instead of words of cursing, it'll change the atmosphere of your life. It'll change the atmosphere of, of your, your home. It'll change the atmosphere where you work. Hallelujah, it'll even change the atmosphere of your church. If we will speak words of blessing, it'll change the atmosphere and it will welcome the presence of God into our lives. Number three, verses 28 through 31, talk about the blessings that come to people who live lives of integrity. Integrity. It says her children stand and bless her, her husband blesses her or praises her. People who are admired are people who, have li who live a step above everyone else, above what's easy, above what's culturally acceptable. Their lives reflect their faith. So pop culture doesn't determine the way they live. Their faith determines the way they live. Amen? That was pretty weak, but I hope that you, you meant it anyway. And that's what verse 29 is saying. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you suppress them all. That's a great goal for all of us in 2016. Let's be a people who surpass them all, who surpass what the world considers normal, what the world accept, considers acceptable. And so others at work may give the minimum, but because you're a believer in Christ who bears his name, you give the maximum instead of the minimum. Others may put people down. You build people up. Others may spread the latest gossip. You spread the latest love. Let's be people who live a mark, leave a mark for Jesus in the coming year that draws others to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a better amen. Hallelujah. And that's what I feel God wanted me to share with you as we end 2015 and get ready for 2016. It can truly be a different year, a year of overcoming um, victorious living for your life. But it all depends on how much you welcome Jesus into your life. Jesus is coming one way or the other. Now, I hope he comes in the rapture. That'd be marvelous. But if not, if we live our lives the way he tell, tells us to in these scriptures, his spirit dynamically will come into our lives, into our church, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our pocketbook. Every part of us, God will start pouring out his blessing. So you do that by making Jesus Lord of your life. You do it by making and living your life fully for God's glory. You do it by being people of great praise unto God, regardless of what you're going through. And you do it by being people of great integrity. Let's stand together. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.